Welcome to Innovation Alchemy. I'm your host, Adam Castle. And today, before we get started, we have to touch on a very important subject, and that is my co-host, Adam Fry. Uh, Adam Fry is no longer with us at WeTech. He's taken on a, a brand new role, something very exciting, um, and we do wish him well. But what that means for the podcast is it's going to be a little bit different. You may have noticed that Adam's been missing over the last few casts. And so what we're going to do is change up the format here a little bit. And so we're going to focus in with this podcast really on that entrepreneurial journey from here on out. So a little less scripted, a little less sort of planned ahead of time and more raw conversations, more hearing from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And we've got an incredible entrepreneur here today to share a little bit of his story. What we want to focus on is that entrepreneurial journey. What did it take to get to the point you're at? What were the pitfalls and barriers that you faced while trying to create your product? And and really, what is it that you're trying to create and what is it you're trying to do um, with your goal and with your business? And so we're also going to have uh, a bit of a carousel of, of co-hosts with us as well. We've got so many great, talented people here at WeTech. And so my plan is to help spotlight all of them. Um, and so today joining us, we have our co-host, Emily Roback. And so Emily, why don't you tell the listeners what it is you do here at WeTech? Hello, everyone. I'm Emily Roback, and I am the digital marketing and social media coordinator. So I do all of the backend stuff on social media. I go out in the forefront, take some good photos, some videos, live tweeting, Instagram stuff, you know, all that good stuff out in public. Fantastic. And Emily, you are the youth contingent of uh, this podcast right now. So it's so great to have your voice on it. And we're diving into a really cool subject today, which is this entire world of cryptocurrency, blockchain technology. And with us, we've got one of our clients with uh, Ronan Wallens, Veda Sadhack. And Veda is CEO and co-founder of Ronan Wallets. And it's a brand new platform for keeping your cryptocurrency safe and accessible. Veda, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me, Adam. We're so excited to have this conversation for you. And, and why don't you just start us off by going down the line of who are you? What's your entrepreneurial journey been to date? And really, how did you get started with Ronin Wallet? Yep. So I'm an engineer by my education, but um, essentially with all the happenings in the world, you you kind of get in tune with something that gets more aligned with you. And crypto is, uh, is something that uh, I aligned with nearing uh, 2017. Okay, so early days for crypto. Or exactly. When it was starting to really bubble up there. Exactly. I, a little bit before then, I read like the white paper. And so at least from the crypto side, sure. uh, that's kind of what got me really uh, interested. And entrepreneurship was always something that, that I kind of wanted to get into anyways. Okay. And uh, and this is such a nascent industry and things just kind of click sometimes. Cool. And... Um, so, so I mean, that's why, yeah, that's how I got here. Very cool. Really, and yeah. you really jumped in sort of both feet because I know you've been, you spent some time in the Valley now yeah. checking things out there. You've yeah. been up to Waterloo and Toronto. So you're yeah. kind of all over the place in yeah, terms of yeah. entrepreneurship. You've been to all the big centers. Yes. Yeah. So actually, uh, I was, uh, I had a small startup in, in Waterloo as well. Okay. Cause with batteries, that's kind of what got me into the Valley. And then, um, but then that's when I kind of shifted focus to, uh, from EVs to crypto. So what was that jump from batteries and EV into crypto? How does one make that, sh that sort of change? Yeah. So, well, the, the first company was building, uh, batteries for basically trying to use, see if there was a use case for lithium ion batteries at the end of life, but, uh, working in that kind of company one way or another that led to me getting a job at Tesla Okay. and cool. getting there, I realized they're going to take it over. Like there's, there's, you could probably find a niche in the EV space, Yeah. but at, at what it took to really do batteries mm -hmm. was, uh, there's a huge kind of infrastructure level, uh, yeah. block to entry. 
and um and it's it's not as nascent as it as it seemed and i think people realize that in 2020 yeah you kind of have right. to work with an oem if you're looking to get into that space exactly. or sort of one of the major suppliers a magna or something like that exactly. that's doing a lot of this work but exactly. it's not easy to knock on those doors and get in exactly and uh, at the same time crypto was was kind of coming up at the same time and yeah. it's, it's one of the most like evs of course with climate change is super impactful uh, but even when you look at banking, uh, so in that sense, crypto is going to be really impactful there. And I figured, hey, this is a better click uh, cool. where my efforts could be more useful and could have more of an impact. Fantastic. Well, so. We're so excited to sort of learn more about your product today and uh, and sort of dive into what this new crypto world is looking like. And with that, you mentioned that your background is in engineering. So how did that help you come up with the idea to become an entrepreneur for the business, the Ronin Wallet? So um, as an engineer, the engineering side is that any entrepreneur can approach a business, but fundamentally they need to know what skill sets they have, right? right? And so I'd say from the engineering side, what it helped me do is I could kind of build the product from the ground up. You know, um, another way to do a business would be to kind of outsource that part and focus on the focus on kind of commercializing it. Um, so at least the engineering part for me, played a role in, hey, I could just build out the core technology from the ground up. And so that was the catalyst. Uh, the engineering part was that's what was the catalyst for doing the entrepreneurship. That product. And so I know yeah. your your product sort of has two components. So there's this really sleek looking physical product, the hardware aspect of it. And that's sort of what you, you designed from the ground up. So is your background in engineering then electrical? So yes, I'm an electrical engineer by uh, uh, by what I studied, but um, but with that, you know, these days like computer computer science is, mm -hmm. uh, programming is something I've always done uh, for a long time. Okay, and so. Uh, so the two really, the product kind of is a good mixture of that. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. And of course, you know, this platform has those those two pieces. So tell us a little bit about what is Ronin Wallet? What is that platform that you've created here? Ronin is solving the problem of self-custody. Okay. And it's making self-custody uh, more secure and convenient. Okay. Now, the first question might be, what do you mean self-custody? 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and so where where that comes from is is really finance and personal banking has gone through like multiple revolutions, right? It started with, 100%. hey, you... You have gold at home uh, that went into, hey, we're going to start storing uh, money into banks. And then that got into credit cards. Somewhere along the way, we lost this aspect of holding your own assets. Yep. And with crypto, the what's happening is that's coming back. Okay. So you now have the opportunity and it's possible for you to hold your own asset. It's still digital, but it's with you under your authority and your enforcement. The problem is it's a lot of responsibility. And with that comes a lot of risk in terms of security, right? Because you want it to be secure. Um, but if you make something really secure, sometimes it's not as convenient okay. to use, right? So we're trying to make a solution where it's both secure and convenient. The best okay. of both worlds. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because that's what's going to be needed to give the user the same experience you have right now using mm -hmm. banking and then really to even go beyond that. And right. I think that's been the biggest disconnect in that crypto world. And we'll get deeper into sort of the, you know, the overall industry as a whole. But I know it's it's been very hard to turn my cryptocurrency into dollars that I can use at a store or something, you know, in a local community where, you know, you start seeing some some ATMs for cryptocurrency sort of pop up over the last few years. Um, but really, there's been this push to like really make it more accessible for people. How does it become something that's functional in our world versus something that's just this really unique novelty that people are really sort of going crazy to invest in right yeah so um the one thing to realize is how big the scope is okay right because yes uh over here like in, in canada you're gonna see uh, atms open up 
um, and there's a little bit of adoption. Mm-hmm. But in other places like Ecuador, where they have a sovereign level adoption, you can actually go buy a coffee. You can buy property with crypto, right? So it's just uh, the scope is so big that in some places the adoption is going to happen faster. Okay. And and in other places it's going to happen slower. There's many factors to it. Right, right. Uh, places where you have a much more developed financial uh, economy and financial mm-hmm. system, it's going to be less uh, uh, fast. Okay. Um, right. And then in places where where there's like the immediate need mm-hmm. um, and and interest from from institutions, it's going to happen a lot faster. Um, so there's that part of it. The other part of it is also kind of the the application side of it. In like Southeast Asia, there've been like games that focus on NFTs. Mm-hmm. And so there've been massive, massive adoptions um, over there where people are opening up wallets. So it's kind of a, to get that adoption and it's con- going to consist of applications yep. and also uh, sovereign and in- institutional interest. So um, Canada is well. sort of in its infancy for adoption. And I think a lot of that's driven by central banks. And we know that there's central banks sort of around the globe that are really seriously looking into crypto as this next level of, of what they do or sort of the evolution of what they do. Tell me a little bit about what makes your hardware software different from what else is out there on the market. Because we've got this global market that you're now competing in. Yeah. There's a hell of a lot of options. Like, can I swear on this podcast? Heck, <gasps> heck and hell. Anyways, <laughs> the point is there's lots of options. Yeah. It's a busy market. So yeah. how do you cut through all that? And where are you sort of putting the line in the sand that's saying this is a different product and we're here to do something that hasn't been done before? So basically how you differentiate yourself to be like, hey, we have this really cool product and we think it will be of value to you. Yeah. The way kind of we look at it at Ronin is, are you familiar with like the first wave of coffee and then like second wave of coffee? Now there's like the third wave of coffee. Yeah. I kind of see it that way where we're still in the first wave of wallets. Okay. Where okay. When you think about a wallet, it's just, hey, I want to store my crypto safely. It's kind of like a treasure chest. We want to change that concept where a wallet is more than just a treasure chest. First of all, it's something that you will be using on a daily basis. So it's something that is kind of constantly, you know, working with you. So it starts from that security, that treasure chest, then it goes into convenience. So it's running on your phone, it's running on your computer, you log on the websites, it's immediately operating for you in the background. And then the third part of it is really making it intelligent so that it's uh, it really incorporates with your life. So things like what happens when you want uh, to pass on your assets to your kids? What happens um, when you want to, uh, you know, if you have business, how does that work? How does asset management with businesses work? Mm-hmm. Um, if you uh, if you have a spouse, how do you how do you want to have shared accounts? So now you want to have a smart intelligent system that's actually you know working on the blockchain for you. Got it. And so it's really bringing that vision is what we want to do. And the hardware is a part of that. The software component is the part of that. And then there's a lot more that's going to be in the yeah. pipeline. So you're kind of saying here's this set of tools. Um, we want to educate you on how to use them to really make your life easier and to adopt this new technology that up to this point has been pretty fringe, at least in Canada, yeah. and saying there's a different way to go about this where it becomes ubiquitous with your everyday life, yeah. where it's actually functional. Exactly. So going off of that, how do your hardware wallet and software platform make it easier for users to manage their cryptocurrency assets? Yeah. So um, the first and foremost, easier in the sense that it's more secure. So mm-hmm. the hardware itself, it's it's an isolated piece of memory and it's an isolated piece of execution environment. So what that means is on your phone, anybody can write apps for your phone, right? Which means they can execute code on your phone, which means there's 
way more possibilities of what can happen on your phone. Okay. Whereas on the Ronin Vault, it's only designed to execute one thing, which is securing your crypto. So right there, you've removed this whole possibility space of there's no there's no malware that can run on the device because right. it just does one thing to secure Got your it. private mm-hmm. keys. So it starts from and then the memory is totally isolated from your computer. So okay. if you're connected to a laptop, your laptop could have malware, but it has no access to your memory in the Ronin vault. Okay. Hmm. So in that sense, it starts from a baseline of security. Then we have a software application on your computer, which then connects to the device. And that manages how you connect with applications on the blockchain and basically how you interact with the world. Okay. So that's the part that makes it convenient. So the hardware makes it secure and the software makes it convenient. Okay. So the software will make it accessible for people to use it more in their daily life. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. So you've created this sort of system, right? We've got the hardware piece. You have the software piece. We actually have the hardware in studio here with us. Um, maybe we'll post a photo of it uh, online in, in the toolbox just so you can take a look at it. Absolutely. And also to the website for Ronin Wallets. You, yeah. can, you can head over there and, and take a look yourselves. But, you know, I know hardware specifically, we've worked with hundreds of companies here at WeTech Alliance, and it's one of the toughest things to create. It is not easy to deliver hardware um, for a number of different reasons. And I'm curious, what are some of the obstacles that you sort of run into while you're developing this product? And and what sort of the obstacles did you think that, that created sort of the best leaps forward for your product? You know, what were those like aha moments that came out of those like tough sort of walls that you hit that ended up creating something that's, a, you know, what it is today? One, well, uh, I'll just say outright, one problem that is persistent is this global chip shortage. Yeah. <laughs> Breach. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, uh, that that kind of affected us a lot. The way we got around it is by making, you know, adding, uh, designing the piece in a way that we could swap components okay. and actually having uh, the developers write code so that we could work with different components okay. on the hardware. What came out of it... So we we had designed the wallet engine on the Ronin wallet from the beginning to be able to run anywhere. And I think that was done, you know, much before the chip shortage. Mm. But I guess that helped us deal with the chip shortage um, because our wallet can run on your computer, it can run on your phone, and it can run on kind of really anything that can run code. It can run on if it has okay. enough memory. So we could swap parts in and out very easily. Very cool. And so you sort then, of created a lot of flexibility with how this thing gets delivered. A way exactly. for it to be adaptable almost. Exactly. And from, from the engineering side. Um, and I'd say uh, apart from that, the the other big challenge is how fragmented the space is in terms of the various projects. So, you mm-hmm. know, there's, I'm sure there's like thousands of tokens, right? Um, and we want to make this wallet so that you you can use the most utilized tokens on the wallet and but because it's so fragmented um we we kind of have to do the work to connect all those bridges okay and i think one aha moment we we do have is the up that itself is kind of a, a product on its own um the tools that we're building for that to to connect different tokens together is kind of also a product. So it's like um, things that other developers could potentially use exactly. to, to create yeah, their exactly. own pieces here. Exactly, exactly. So that's kind of, yeah, I'd say that that was a challenge that helps us. Very cool. So when you're looking to put together sort of the physicality piece of this, how hard was it to find a manufacturer that's looking to put together these tiny sort of electronic devices for you? Uh, was that something you were able to find in Canada or do you have to look abroad to, to find a manufacturer? Yeah, we, we preferred a shop in Toronto, actually. And uh, just because it was kind of logistically mm-hmm. closer, mm-hmm. Um, because I think the hard part in a hardware product like this is just 
procurement of components. Absolutely. And spe- again, especially during the chip shortage. Supply chain, yeah. But yeah. apart from that, the actual fabrication is not too too bad. Very cool. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. awesome. So how do you envision your hardware and wallet sort of being used in the future? It's 10 years down the road. What do you yeah. sort of see for people using Ronin Wallet and, and how does that work into their day-to-day lives? I'd say like one word, which is multi-sig. Okay. Uh, okay. I think that is uh, really how Ronin gets more and more. That's really what you're going to be dealing with. Do you uh, want to define what that might be for anybody listening? Sure, sure, sure. So multi-sig uh, is a, uh, stands for multi-signature. Okay. And that um, what it means is that, um, so right now, for someone who may not know what a wallet is, it's essentially, um, or or even how some of the, I guess, a brief uh, primer on cryptography. Yeah. Um, the uh, the way any kind of the way you store assets on the blockchain is basically you create your own private key, which is just a number, and that private key is associated with a public key, and anybody can send you assets on that public key. Usually, it's encoded as an address. So, what people will say, "Hey, you'll have an Ethereum address or a Bitcoin address that basically encodes your public key." So, you are sent assets to this public-private key pair. Anytime you want to send assets out, you would sign it with your private key. Okay. Right. So, um, what the Ronin Vault does is it manages all of your private keys. Awesome. But the thing is, uh, let's say you're storing an asset and you lose your private key. What happens? Yeah, what do you do? Right. <laughs> Nothing. So, Your stories of people that have no access to their crypto. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got, you know, locked on a thumb drive somewhere in their house. <laughs> yeah. And they have no idea what the, the key is and they can't access it. People have hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars in assets that yeah. sometimes are stuck in these spaces. Exactly. Exactly. So um, you can't have a system that is just dependent on the one key. So multi-signature is a way that you can have access to the asset and you require multiple signers in order to send any assets from that wallet. Okay. So it's a wallet that oh, okay. yeah, it requires cool. uh, multiple uh, signers to multiple private keys to sign uh, transactions. Okay, so the evolution of two-factor authentication kind of thing, what we have. Essentially, today. yeah, essentially, yeah. except it's it's multiple private keys. Right. Um so but with that just that basic layer there's a whole bunch of applications that come on top of that because what it means is I kind of gave you a technological explanation of it. Mm-hmm. What it looks like in practice could be, hey, um, your 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 kids, let's say you have some assets and you want to pass it on to your kids. Well, you could have, um, that could be a multi-sig wallet where your kids have uh, a bunch of private keys and at some point in the future, you, you could be, you could sign off, right? Or a third party could sign off on your behalf and now, now your legacy could be passed on, transfers to transferred, mm-hmm. and basically they would come to consensus on how the assets could be used. Okay. Um, another application could be on like the business side where you have an executive team that needs to manage uh, asset and you don't want one person to kind of be in control. So again, in there, you would have a multi-sig wallet where okay. multiple part of the C-suite or the executive team would sign off on what happens with asset transfers. I mean, there's there's so many applications of multi-sig in the future. And I think that's really where eventually people are not going to be dealing with uh, single-handed private keys at all. And it's going to be just multi-sig. Okay. Um, 
in the future. So you sort of see it evolving in a way that really it's it's for accessibility at the end of the day. Is it, it continues to be more accessible, but also more safe or more secure. Um, yeah. So the, the two are sort of growing in the same sort of direction. So as this technology gets to the next point, the next evolution piece, yeah. um, it's all about having more control over your individual assets, whether that's going to you know friends, family, those types of things, or you know being shared amongst the business or business owners. Um, but then also at the same time, having that security that really cryptocurrency is known for today, right? That anonymity, um, the ability to sort of hold onto those assets in safety without having to be in a centralized location like a bank. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a part of it is also like, the, so yeah, so you get the, the, the hardware and the software just become kind of a seamless part of it. It's just kind of something you don't think about, okay. But it's it's operating, and you're you're just operating at this high level multi sig layer, right? Um, and like you said, yeah, it gives you it gives you that decentralized custody. It gives you self custody. It gives you recovery, and all that comes with multi sig. So this next wave, how does Ronin Wallet sort of factor into that? Is multi sig something that you've already built into your platform? So multi sig is present for enterprise enterprises. So our okay. enterprise product does have a multi sig solution. So uh, businesses can store uh, store assets on Ronin, and basically we give them APIs to create multi-sig wallets. And then after that, we also provide the ability for them to manage or like sign off on those multi-sigs with the Ronin vault. Got it. So now you have hardware signing off on multi-sig, and that's pretty much the gold standard for security on, okay. on Lite right. and crypto. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So yeah. when you look at how cryptocurrency is sort of evolving. And maybe let's dive into that a little bit, right? We've got this overview of what your product is, what it does, why it's so important, why it's different. What does cryptocurrency look right now? You've got major central banks that are looking into how do we adopt this over the next few years? The EU central bank is looking at it right now. I know China's already adopted their own coinage. There's a bunch of countries in Asia that have adopted coins as well. Um, How do you see that continuing to fold out? I know even government of Canada or Bank of Canada is looking at eventually sort of moving that forward. I think Canada is more so in the position of let's wait and see what happens with Europe first, um, as we usually are with these types of things. Um, But how do you see that continuing to sort of evolve over the next decade? And especially since you started your journey around 2017, you mentioned, how do you see the evolution kind of progressing over time? Yeah. Okay. So it's just important to realize the scope of it. There's so mm-hmm. many parts to that question. Um, I think when it comes to the sovereign level, the first uh, aspect of it is, so in the last maybe you know two years, there were a lot of projects that built stable coins. Okay. okay. And basically these were coins that were pegged to, you know, uh, currencies issued by central banks so us dollars generally us dollars but other currencies um they're pegged to other uh, central bank issued currencies as well that being said once you have adoption from central banks to create their own coins well then what happens is all of the either the public the stable coins that are created by private entities they will have to get merged in with the sovereigns, right? right? So I think that basically sovereigns are going to take over stable coins because they're they're the direct. Of course, uh, yeah. So a lot of either any kind of private project that's been working on stable coins is going to merge, or they're not going to exist. Um, in terms of stable coins itself, and then 
in terms of applications, you're going to have huge applications gaming, you know, especially in the in the NFT space. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I see those NFTs all over Twitter and I went to change my profile the one day and realized I can make it an NFT and I'm thinking this is so cool and innovative. Yeah, so it's going to become uh yeah, so uh, so exactly. So social media and gaming, it's just going to become uh NFTs will just become this kind of layer of uh tokenization that you're going to have and it's going to be cool. what's cool about it is it's transferable between games between mm-hmm. social media platforms and so th- that's kind of g- going to grow from from that arena you're going to get a lot more institutional like investment level interest which is i mean it's already hap- happened yeah we're starting to see exchange trade funds that are based on coins and stuff like that which you yeah. haven't seen in the last sort of decade or so and um, they're trying to find ways to like make those investments a l- i think a little bit more stable as well or predictable yeah. um but yeah i expect to see probably some more of that too yep and then um and then apart from that i think the the a lot of in these in the waves that happened like in 2017 2018 one of the limiting limiting factors was scalability like as soon as you had right. any volume the 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 cost of making a transaction went up and i think what may be different if there is an upcoming wave is that that transaction scalability main uh, that problem may not exist so now you're actually going to be able to there's going to be no uh bottleneck um in terms of scalability which is going to be interesting because then you really can allow this uh space to um for applications to flourish very cool so how does this work you get these sovereign coins and they sort of come in and take the place of stable coins that are already in existence does that devalue what exists in people's portfolios today or is it this you sort of expect to see some sort of transition period where you're moving one coin to the other sort of you know um transferring each um it might be both it depends so if if, um if a particular um at the end of the day it's kind of which users are really congregating to which coins okay um, if there is, if a private stable coin is kind of merging with the central bank, then, you know, then it may be more straightforward that you just kind of hold your asset. Mm-hmm. But if that's not the case, it's going to be a gray area because, you know, what's going to happen with that privately issued coin, mm-hmm. maybe it just stays like a niche thing and eventually user will wear out, but you kind of have to gauge, Hey, is this thing going to be used in the future? Um, so I, yeah, it would be on a case by case basis that how stable coins get phased, yeah, phased out. It's something to or, consider it right? if you're looking at, you know, if you haven't dove into the world of crypto yet is looking at longevity for some of these things, not just the novelty. I think yeah. you see a lot of that or like these novel offerings uh, that come online yeah. that are cool or, you know, drive this like huge spike or bubble of demand, but it may not be something that's a long-term sort of process or play. Right. Yeah. And it, it, I guess it's important to note that like, a lot of these offerings are not stable coins, yeah. right? They're just projects that are doing various things. Right. And stable coin is this very specific application where they're they're trying to create this peg to a central bank issued right. currency. Right. Yeah. So those particular ones, I think, in terms of other other coins, it's a totally that's a totally different yeah, thing. It's yeah. The Wild West. Still yeah. Like yeah. 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 Absolutely. So you know, crypto is this incredibly dense. Uh, industry. There's a lot of different aspects to it. And I, I would argue that there's a lot of people that don't really understand it yet. Um, as you said, you know, Canada is still in this infancy of, of adoption, um, but even more so in terms of creation of technology. Um, if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm looking to dive into this space, where do I start? How do I actually get sort of that that background or foundation so that I can move into this space with some, some knowledge and, and expertise? Yeah. So I kind of see entrepreneurship as kind of an art, right? 
And um, so it's hard to say, give you a cookie cutter. This is what um, yeah. you would do. I can only say, hey, what did I do? Right. Absolutely. And kind of say, this is my kind of piece of advice, my journey. So this might not work for you, but feel free and try it maybe. Yeah. Like this will work for me. And, yeah. and, and, and so maybe it'll work for you. Mm-hmm. But generally it's to dive in deep to a particular application. Take a first step keeping in mind that that first step may not be what you end up doing, okay, but that that will help you find the next step, which will be more relevant to what you're doing. But take that first step because in that first step, you're going to come across a bunch of problems. Maybe one of those problems is a solution that you need to solve for someone else. Something we're solving, yeah. Yeah, but just take that first step and and do it with that first step you take. It should be something you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, in the crypto space, I would say um, choose a particular, if specific to crypto, I'd say a lot of times people build projects where they build the infrastructure, but then not the application. And they right. kind of say, hey, we'll give you this infrastructure and we'll let other people build the application. And I think in this space, you kind of have to do both. So, so you're solving for both problems. Yeah. So if you're going to build the infrastructure, you also should build the end application. Right. And if you want to build only one of those, build the application. Um, but don't build the infrastructure alone. It, it should be your responsibility to build the application as well. Right on. Yeah. So when you're building just infrastructure, it's really limiting for really successive projects kind of thing down the line. Um, or if you're looking at creating you know, holistic success, you're going to want to probably take both approaches. And that's no difference from from you know traditional business where you're looking at sort of vertical integration, right? You're not, you're not just going to sell the widget that you sell, but you may want to purchase a supplier or two. You may exactly. want to sort of build down the line exactly. so that way you're not relying on others for the success of your business. And that's really what I'm sort of hearing here to translate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and here what happens is you kind of build the infrastructure and you're waiting for the application. Right. And you you generate this whole amount of interest in the infrastructure. But if that application doesn't pan out. It may never happen. Right? Yeah. Um, so so you should, yeah, you should follow through. Follow through with it. And 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 in that, you'll find something. Fantastic. Are there any local groups that you know of or, or uh, sort of peer networks or anything like that that you sort of tapped into that you found helpful? The biggest one um, is this one called Bitcoin Bay. Okay. Okay. Um, and it's kind of, it's centered it's centered in Toronto, but they do meetups uh, all over the place. And um, and the involvement in those groups is is really depending on uh, the price of Bitcoin. Okay. <laughs> okay like the funny. number of meetups is, is like <laughs> directly <laughs> correlated <laughs> to the price up? of Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, but at times you'll get, when there is interest, you'll get thousands of people. I was going to say, is that accessible for anybody to just go to or look up on Google and yeah, if you look it up on Google, you'll find them, um, meetups.com. There's meetups all over the place. Um, apart from that, Ethereum developer groups is uh, really nice. Um, so for someone in uh, getting into crypto, um, I, I would definitely recommend, uh, Ethereum sure because a lot of the technologies have been commoditized. Okay. You know? Versus with other blockchains, it's not so commoditized. Right. There, there's opportunity still there to, to sort of build into something that's new and not to, not completely sort of monopolized by those bigger companies. Yeah. Like, um, like you know, if you want to go build a website, you can you can come at it from different aspects, right? You can build oh, your own 100%. website or you could hire someone to build that website because okay. it that um, that is commoditized. Like mm-hmm. there's people mm-hmm. who know how to build websites. Um, for Ethereum specifically, even more so than Bitcoin, they did a really good job of commoditizing. So you could okay. find, an, like if you have an idea, you could find someone who can write you the smart contract on Ethereum. Got it. Right? Or um, if, you, if you're if you a developer, there'll be a ton of tools that someone else has built that you can utilize to build your application. So 
um, in that sense, if you just want to kind of get going quick. Yeah, there's more um, of an ecosystem already there for you exactly. to start to dive into it. Exactly. So I, I, we've got one last official question, but before we move on to that, I wanted to ask you as well. There's so much noise out there when it comes to cryptocurrency and you see a lot of scams. You see a lot of multi-level marketing sort of pyramid schemes that are out there. I'm sure we've all gotten 2 billion messages on Instagram from someone that's trying to convince you to dive into this yeah. investment oh, yep. space. <laughs> How do you cut through that? What's the difference between something that's real in cryptocurrency versus something that's more of a scam or more predatory in nature? What are you looking for there? Yeah. Um. So when, when I look at an interest and this is just kind of specifically the way I look at it mm-hmm. is when I see a token, I see it as first of all, does it have an immediate use, right? In this case, usually it's, you know, storage of assets. Okay. Um, but number two, as kind of looking at it from another lens would be looking at it as a developer. So if I was going to develop on this platform, does it play a specific role in the space? Um, and if it does, then then that'll pique my interest. Cause, okay. And then I'll investigate it from the aspect of how I would use this. Okay. So you really want to look at a token in terms of usability. So does it solve a problem for you, right? And, and does it do it immediately or will it do it in the future? A lot of times the predatory scams are trying to sell you on the price. Mm-hmm. And that is like the last thing you want to look at. Sounds like all of my DMs right now that are hidden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the last thing you want to look at. And um, it's either it's either price or some level of status, you know, like right. endorsement. Yeah, mm-hmm. or um, instant return on investment, yep. which I find is often the case, right? Is that they'll say, you're going to make so much money if you join us in Forex yeah. trading. And, yeah. um, you know, Kyle from high school is, is still trying to push that <laughs> on, on my Instagram right now. But, yeah. Um, sorry, Kyle. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you get a lot of that is yeah. like this like quick turnaround or quick, you know, and we saw with early Bitcoin, that was the case sometimes. People invested very little and they the return they got was massive. Yeah. But now that we're seeing a little bit more stability in the market, I mean, Bitcoin's up right now anyways, but yeah. you're seeing a lot more stability. It's not as volatile in terms of these like insane peaks in coinage. Yeah. Um, it's looking for things that are a little bit more stable, I guess is what you're trying to say. Yeah, like if, you, if, you're, if you're a long-term kind of allocator, that's, if you're a trader, it's one thing, mm-hmm. right? But if you're a person who's just kind of uh, trying to put some assets into crypto, mm-hmm. stick with the basics. Don't be careful. <laughs> yeah, be careful. And 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 if it's a get rich quick scheme, it's probably it, not too uh, good to be true. Yeah, yeah too good to be sure. true. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and if you can uh, try to try to see if what the usability of the thing would be like okay. really, and and those are the ones that'll last, right? Awesome. That's good to know. So with social media and on that topic, what are some of your favorite resources that really helped you? to make a positive impact on developing your business, whether it's a blog post you saw online, a podcast you listened to somewhere, et cetera? Um, I guess I'll go a little more old-fashioned in terms okay, of cool. books. Nice. Books, you know, those Love that. Love that. Yeah, yeah, Love yeah, to hear it. We've heard of them. Yeah. Um, Are they on the blockchain now as well? Uh, What's the library maybe. again? Hey, maybe yeah. that's an application. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a book called um, The E-Myth Mastery. Yeah. And... Um, in, in that book, they talk about kind of the different, when you go through the phases of entrepreneurship, what roles you kind of play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they kind of characterize it into three roles of like technician, um, manager, and entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And basically, it starts off you being a technician. So if you have a, if you have a bakery, hey, you're, you're the ones, you, or maybe you're good at baking, right? So you're a technician, you're, you're, you're making, uh, you're baking bread. And then, now, hey, I want to make a business out of it, right? So then you have to kind of turn into a manager to, right. to scale that up. You're now not only a technician, but you're now training other people to bake. 
And the third part is, um, or actually starts with entrepreneurship. The idea that I want to make this bakery. Right. Um, that so, actually answered one of my questions. Does it start with an idea or does it start with, I want to start a business? Yeah. So it starts with the entrepreneur, goes into kind of the technician, goes into manager, and then it goes back to entrepreneur. Right. So it's right. like idea, then you have to figure out how to do what you're going to do really right. well, right? A technologist that people are going to look at and say, oh, I really need that bread, for example. We'll <laughs> continue down that bakery yeah, yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. And then it dives into, well, okay, now I have to step back a little bit because I want to scale this up. It can't be just me making all the bread because yeah. there's only two hands and only so many loaves I can churn out in a day. I love this bakery analysis. <laughs> um, and it comes yeah. to the point of, okay, so I'm looking to scale it up, move yeah. back, and then you got to teach, right? You got to sort of make manage other people to do that work for you so that you can focus on growth and further development. Exactly. Exactly. And and what I like about that process is anytime you're kind of, when you're in the thick of things, it kind of can give you a reference framework for where you're at yeah. and, and where, where you need to be. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Uh, in order to kind of really scale it up. Yeah. Right. Like it's so easy to get caught in that I'm doing it. I'm baking the bread yeah. and being able to step back and say like, well, how do I sell more? How do I find more customers? It's exactly. really hard to do when your hands are covered in flour. So exactly. it gives you that framework of like moving yourself back and, and saying, okay, this is what I can do to sort of move it forward. Yeah. Am I bready or not? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Awful puns. Awful I've been puns. thinking of yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. 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 If you're, if you're stressed, you probably need to be more of a manager. If you're bored, more of an entrepreneur or a technician, you know, yeah. it kind of it gives you a gauge of where you're at. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So E-Myth and E-Myth is a really good series too. They have a marketing book that I've read that's fantastic as well. Okay. Um, and they constantly update it. So I think they're on like the 11th or 12th editions of those two. Um, I think E-Myth sales, E-Myth marketing, and then E-Myth the mastery, which is sort of the overarching piece. Yeah. Um, definitely check that out. And we'll have that in the toolkit as well for people uh, after the episode to check out. So what else do you got for us in terms of tools and resources? Um, generally, yeah, I, I think books really kind of shape my view on how to kind of proceed with, uh, with entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, books will never die. People books are great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, old school. Uh, but, but, uh, but yeah, I'd say, I'd say that one's a good reference point to look at. Yeah. Very cool. Any other resources specific to the crypto space, if you're looking to get more involved in it or just even learn more about what it is and how you could potentially get involved at some point. What I'd say is start with Ethereum. Okay. That if you just type that into Google, you're gonna uh, wherever you're coming from. Whether yep. you're you're more into sales, you're more into technology, wherever aspect you're coming from, you'll be able to get to where you want to much okay. faster. And Ethereum, um, as you were saying, is they've they've built a really great ecosystem around it now. Yeah. So you've got developers, you've got applications, you've got sort of a lot of blueprints for you to dive into it, so that you're not going in blind and it's not you know you're not looking at a, an offering that someone made in their garage kind of thing <laughs> exactly exactly there, it's much more mature and refined so you'll go through you know the phases of entrepreneurship mm -hmm. much faster in ethereum very cool and yeah. would you say too ethereum has the the widest sort of array of applications as well like you can use it in different places not necessarily okay because a lot of these projects are you know designed to be a uh, very general purpose okay but ethereum is the one that's more mo most far along okay got yeah, it yeah very cool. yeah Awesome. Well, Veda, thank you so much for your time coming on, chatting with us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, this was great. This is great. Hopefully we can do it again. Fantastic. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Awesome. So if you're interested in learning more about Ronin Wallets, you can head to the website at uh, roninwallets.com. That's Ronin with a Y. So R-O-N-Y-N wallets.com. And uh, and yeah, you go there, download, uh, download the wallet for free and start storing crypto. 
fantastic. And so if you're looking for more information on the resources mentioned here by Veda, what we're gonna do is head into the Alchemy Toolbox at www.wetech-alliance.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to Innovation Alchemy. We'll see you on the next one.